So I'm just forewarning you, for the, for the next several weeks, you will be hearing dad jokes out of me. So I, I got one to start with this morning. I, I, I like this one. How many of you scuba dive? How many, how many of you scuba? I hear people use it as a verb. Anybody, anybody scuba? Okay, a few of you. So why is it that scuba divers fall backwards out of the boat? Why is it that they fall backwards out of the boat? Because if you fell forward, you'd still be in the boat. <laughs> That's all right. I like it. I like it. 1 Samuel 14, <laughs> verse number 6. That's actually quite deep. It's actually quite deep if you think about it. But 1 Samuel 14 and verse number 6. Let's read just this verse, and then we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll read several more verses. Verse uh, number 6, the Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. He's talking about the Philistines. It may be, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And this morning what I'd like to preach about for a few minutes right in the middle of verse 6, it may be. So if you would bow your heads, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this last day of this year. And Lord, as we usher out the year of 2023, we turn our sights to what is to come. And Lord, who knows what you might be able to do through us, with us, how you might change us, how you might work. We look forward now to what you'll do today to prepare us for what is to come. I pray you'd speak through me, use me as a vessel I pray give all of us ears to hear, Father, thank you that we can lean on your everlasting arms in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, verse number six, you can see Jonathan is making a decision, and part of his thinking is it may be. He, he's not making any promises as to what God will do. He doesn't claim to have any prophetic word in that sense. He simply says it may be. It could be that God is going to use us. It might be that he'll change us. It might be that he will help us. Whatever it is, it may be. And with a new year coming in, new years often bring hope. It brings that sense of, well, thank God we made it through last year. Thank God that's behind us, all the trials and tribulations. But, but now, what, what could be, what might happen in this new year? And you're going to see in these verses now that we're going to read, this was a pivotal moment in the history of Israel. Uh, just We're going to skip over a big chunk of the story, verses 7 down to 15. This is where Jonathan uh, charges toward the Philistines and he begins to win the victory here. But come on down to verse 16. The Bible says, And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the, mel uh, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. These are the Philistines now fighting each other because Jonathan had stirred things up. Verse 17, then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. So what Saul's doing, if I can just interrupt the narrative for a moment, He's bringing the ark with the high priest because the high priest has what they call the ephod and the ephod has in it the Urim and the Thummim and this was one way to communicate with God. So Saul, he can see 
that something pretty big is happening. Something is changing on the scene of the battlefield. And Saul was not part of that change. So he's wondering, what is going on? How did this start and what should I do about it? Verse number 19, And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Saul says, I've seen enough. I don't even need to inquire further. I can see that we, Israel, we are winning this battle. Verse number 20, And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. That is a, a confusion. Philistines are fighting Philistines. In verse number 21, Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Just so that you have it clearly in your mind, the Philistines had attacked. Many of the Hebrew soldiers had defected. They had switched over to the Philistine side. And now that they see the momentum has shifted, Israel is now winning, those backsliders are coming back. And they can see God God is fighting on the behalf of the Israelites. Let's get on board with this spiritual momentum. In verse number 22, it says, Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. This is now the vast majority of Israelites that were scared and were hiding, not active in the war, once they saw some other people getting the job done, God using them, they said, hey, we want to get in on that too. And I hope today you find yourself somewhere in this passage. Not not everybody's going to fit the role of a Jonathan. We're going to talk about the armor bearer. We're going to talk about Saul. You've read now about these other Hebrews that were scared and hiding in their caves. You'll see it now but have now decided to come out. They've been encouraged and strengthened and, hey, let's get involved. And maybe 2024 has that in store for you. You've been hiding long enough from the Philistines. You've been hanging out long enough with them. Now it's time to get back where you know you need to be along with the saints of God assembling together with us and saying, let's get busy fighting the good fight. Verse number 23, watch how it's worded. So the Lord saved whom? He saved who? Israel. Now I thought that was interesting. I read that and reread that and reread that. The Lord, He didn't save Jonathan. He didn't save just, uh, just Saul. He didn't save just a few Hebrews. He saved Israel that day. Now, you would like to think that we could put a full stop right there and say, well, see, the battle was won, the Philistines were put down, Israel's now back on top. End of story. That's not the end of the story. Look at the next part. The Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. They, they had won a battle. As you continue on through 1 Samuel, you're going to see there are many more battles to come. And the Philistines would rise up and conquer. And it, it was not, the war was not over. 
But, but why then would verse 23 say the Lord saved Israel that day if there were still battles to be fought? It's not that he saved them completely from their enemies. The Philistines still existed. It's not an salva- a, a ultimate salvation from their enemy. You know what it is? He saved them from sitting around doing nothing. If Israel would have continued down the path that they were on in the beginning of this chapter, and I'll show that to you just now, sitting around, hiding, scared, nobody mobilizing, no momentum, no action, no ambition, just sitting there, they surely would have been overcome. But God saved Israel that day because one man stood up and said, it just may be that God can use my little effort to create this, this action, this momentum that will eventually lead to the salvation of our nation. I think it might be a bit too ambitious to say that if we do this one thing or that one program in our church, if we try this one endeavor, if we just do this one thing, God will save all of Pachastrum or all of South Africa. I, guys, that would be a bit ambitious. I think it's smarter, I think it's more biblical to say it like this. Rather than promise any level of outcome, I cannot promise you how much fruit you can bear. Doesn't the Bible say some plant, some water? But God gives the increase, right? So the amount of fruit that you bear in your life is not up to you. What Jesus taught us to do, he said, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bring forth fruit. He didn't say you had to be the one pushing the fruit out. You abide in me, he will give the increase. How much? Up to him. When? Up to him. So we're not talking about some certain level of outcome, some uh, level of production that we're trying to reach. We're not setting those kind of goals today. I think this story teaches us rather this. Let's look at what we can do stir ourselves up to take hold of the things of God, do what we can, and then leave the results in the hands of God. And just look at the situation and say, it may be if I try, God can do something big, small, I'll leave that to Him, but today I'm going to try. It just might be that pivotal moment in your life when God begins to use you as He wants to. Let's begin at... at, In chapter 14, verse 1, I just want to walk you through a few things. We won't linger long on any of these passages. In verse number 1, it says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. That's like their military outpost. That is on the other side, but he told not his father. Now, why would he hide this from his father? Well, We'll show you now in chapter 13, Saul had been scared for several weeks and even months. And he knew if I go and share this idea with my dad, he's going to shoot it down. He's not going to be on board with this, so I'm not even going to share it with him. I wonder, does anybody feel comfortable to, you, to come to you and say, I know that you would like to get something done. Let me bounce this idea off of you. Or do they know you more as a Saul? That if they come to you and say, hey, I got an idea Here's something that's lacking. Maybe we can try. You'll find a reason to shoot that idea down. You'll find a reason to just stay right where you've been for the last, what, several years? Weeks? Months? Verse number two, Saul tarried. 
It says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. I want you to see that Saul is in the uttermost part of Gibeah. So the battle is going on to his west. He is as far east as he can be. In the uttermost part, as far away from the battle, hiding, it says, under a pomegranate tree. Just enjoying the shade that the tree provides. But if we can dig a little deeper, the word that is translated as pomegranate tree, it is the Hebrew word, Ramon. Now, not like the Italian Ramon, but Ramon. This Ramon, you read about it in the book of Judges. Now, now listen closely to this. In the book of Judges, the Benjamites, that's where Saul comes from, the Benjamites commit some horrible atrocities and the rest of the Israelites have to fight against them. And they wipe them out. 25,000 die in a war. They almost wipe out all the Benjamites. Only 600 Look at verse 2. Only 600 Benjamites were left. That's in Judges chapter 20. You know where they went to hide? Because they were scared of being wiped out by the rest of their brethren. They went to hide in the rock Ramon. This exact same spot. Right there, there's this large craggy rock area. Not quite a cave, but the rocks were built up just so-so. And there's a pomegranate tree right there. And Saul has put himself in this safe and comfortable place so that he doesn't have to engage the enemy. And the religious people, the religious leaders of Israel are right there with him, doing nothing about the enemy that has now encompassed them. Folks, I hope it's all right if I let you make the connections. I'm giving you the history of this story. Do you see how it could apply to today? There are Philistines all around us. There are sinful problems all around us. There are lost people all around us. There are, we'll talk more about the things that need to be done. These things are everywhere. There's a spiritual battle to be fought in all of our individual lives and in our community and in this country. And dare I say, even in the world. And it's time that we recognize there's a battle. We can't keep hanging out under the pomegranate tree where it's safe and comfortable for us while the rest of the nation goes down. Let me show you, just walk you through chapter 13. I want you to see the momentum that was lost here. In chapter 13, Saul has been reigning in verse number 2. He's reigned for two years. He takes 3,000 men out. He fights a battle. Saul wins the battle. You remember in your Christian life when you first started out and you tried a few new things and it worked? And you were so excited. You were learning the Bible. You'd gone to a prayer meeting and God spoke to your heart. You'd come into church and you could feel the Holy Spirit moving around. Do you remember that? When you had that good momentum? Saul had it. But you know what happens? Verse number 5, the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. They fought back. But this time the Philistines came with an even bigger army. You know what happened? Saul got scared. Verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait... That means in a narrow path. For the people were distressed. They were stressed out by this. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. They all scattered. 
Folks, you've got to understand that when you stand up and begin to fight the good fight, the devil's going to fight back. The world's going to fight back. Your flesh is going to fight back. You get saved and give your heart and soul and mind to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil are not going to take that lightly. They're going to come at you full force. This is not the time to go running, scared, hiding, you got to stand up to it. But they didn't. In verse number 7, some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So Saul, who are you the leader of now? The leader of the scaredy cats. <laughs> the, the, the captain of the cowards. I don't know what kind of nickname you want to give him, but all the people following Saul are falling behind going, oh, I, I don't know how this is going to work. Oh. God, help us. I see the church sometimes, and I don't mean necessarily our local church, but the body of Christ in general, cowering, hearing the world saying all this nonsense, but the church cowering, saying, well, we don't, we don't want to stir up any trouble. We don't want to fight. We, we don't want to fight necessarily, but we do need to contend for the faith. There's something that needs to be done. Verse number 9, and Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. You know what Saul does? He says, okay, we're in trouble. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Uh, 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 bring me an offering. He is not a priest. This is not his job. You know what he does? He said, okay, Samuel should be here any day. And when Samuel gets here, he can give the, But Samuel didn't show up as soon as Saul thought he would. So the Bible says Saul forced himself and, and put the offering on the altar. That was not his job. Samuel eventually showed up and said, what are you doing? Saul, my goodness, you are panicked. You are running here and there trying to figure this out. What are you doing? He said, oh, oh, well, the people are scared and the Philistines are attacking and you were late. No, I didn't know what to do, so I forced myself. And Samuel's looking at him thinking, calm down, man. If you had stood up against them like you should have, you wouldn't be panicking right now. Follow along with me, verse number 13. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, for thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. You see, God had one idea for Saul, but because Saul went against the word of God, you can never, listen, you can never accomplish anything good by going against the word of God. Never. He was not supposed to give a sacrifice in, in the tabernacle. That's not his job. As soon as you try to do a right thing the wrong way, you'll always end up on the wrong side of God. So Samuel tells him, you know, you had your chance, but the Lord, he's done with you. Verse number 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Somebody tell me, who is that? David. He says, God is looking for somebody that has a similar attitude to God. A man after his own heart. Saul's not that guy. He said, The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and gat him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son, and the people that were uh, present with them, abode in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Watch what happens. Gilgal, if, if you will... I'm going to turn around and give you the map. 
<clears throat> Gilgal is a little bit farther east. It's about 20 kilometers to get to Gibeah. If you continue traveling, you get to where the Philistines were encamped. So Saul is hanging out there in Gilgal, far away from the fight. And now Samuel shows up. Samuel says, what are you guys doing? He said, oh, we're scared. We didn't know what to do. He said, ah, oh, forget it, man. God can't use a guy like this. And Samuel says, I'm out of here. I'm leaving town. Samuel goes from Gilgal to Gibeah. You know what Saul does? There's the prophet walking down the road, getting closer to the battle, and Saul comes behind him, going, come on, guys, come on. While Samuel's doing it, we'll do it. We'll, we'll sneak in behind. He has no intention of fighting the good fight. He just sees an opportunity to sneak into Gibeah, where he can find the rock Ramon, where he can find a comfortable, safe uh, uh, spot, but he won't do it by himself. He, he has to have Samuel almost babysit him from one part to the next. And that's where we leave the story until we get to chapter 14. Jonathan then, he looks at the situation, he says, this, we got to do something, but I know my dad. He's just way too scared to get involved. So we're going to do something. Verse number three, or four, forgive me. Verse four, and between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there, were, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. Well, let's talk about these sharp rocks just for a moment. Uh, he, he finds it, if, you know what, let's read verse 5. I think this will help us see the whole thing. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. So I, the reason I'm giving you this, I know it might seem like just a bunch of names and places and people, but, but follow with me. One rock, it's a sharp rock, almost like a ledge, pointing to Gibeah. And the other sharp rock is pointing the other way towards Michmash. You know who's in Michmash? <clears throat> That's the Philistines. You know who's in Gibeah? That's Saul. And Jonathan finds himself right in between those two rocks. He's at a crossroads. Perhaps some of you are at that same kind of crossroads. You're looking at it going, I can go back to the safety of doing nothing. Just like my daddy. I won't get involved. I won't engage. I will just hide in Ramon. Or I can get over there to Michmash where the battle's at and actually get something done. The names of those rocks were Bozes and Sina. Do you see that at the end of verse 4? Bozes and Sina. Bozes means shining. Sina means thorns or a bramble bush. You know where you get thorns and it's like weeds in your garden. If you don't till the ground, it just gets overrun with thorns. It, it, it comes from inactivity. It comes from doing nothing. He is stuck between glory and giving up. Those are his choices. I can go fight and get the glory back to Israel and give it to God, or I can just go back to doing nothing, give up, and let the thorns overrun my life. He's stuck there with that choice. As they say, go big or go home. I can't just sit here and do nothing. In verse number six, this brings me to my first point. I, I want to give you three things about this passage. We've read it already. Let's look at it one more time because I want you to see point number one, this is the idea. It all starts with an idea. 
you got to get it right in your head first. If you don't have the proper approach, the proper view of life, what needs to be done, what is the plan, what's the structure for my thinking, if you don't have the right idea in your head and in your heart, the actions are not going to be right. So we got to get this thing right first. Here's the idea. Jonathan says to the young man that bears armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by a few. Here's his thought. God can use me. Now, I know you, you hear that and go, well, that, obviously. Now, I want you to think the same thing, but what about you? Can, are you ready to say that? Because here's the temptation. I find myself here all the time. I, I read about some other missionary, and I say, absolutely, God can use him. I look around this church this morning, and I think God can use him. God can use him. God can use her. I, I, I look and see the potential all around us. But then you ask me personally, what about you? Can God use you to do something pivotal, something that would bring about a, a very important change at whatever level? And all of a sudden, we start to shy away and think, well, you know, I have too many flaws. I've, I've listen, I don't know enough. I'm not well, I'm not this. And we begin, like Moses, like Moses, who's met the burning bush, What we offer God is excuse after excuse why we are not the person for the job. It may be that the Lord can use you, and you must start with that idea. You must have that much hope and trust and faith, not in your own ability, not in your sufficiency. Your sufficiency is of God, but you do have to realize, yes, it is the grace of God, but like Paul said, I labored more abundantly. I didn't let God's grace go to waste. I was willing to do something with it because I believed that God could use even a broken sinner like me. It all starts with that idea. You, friend. You. Not the person sitting next to you. You. Rabbi Hillel, the famous rabbi, he was alive in the days of Jesus. Now, I quote him not because he was some great spiritual leader, but his, his words have lived on in many ways. He was the first one to put this quote together, at least on paper. If not now, when? And if not you, then who? You've heard that probably before. If not now, then when? You tell me when. When are you going to get out from between Bozes and Sinoth? When are you going to leave the comfort of your pomegranate tree? When? And that problem that you've seen, that you've noticed, that God has brought your attention to, why is it that God can't use you to do something about it? If not you, then who? You see, Jonathan had an idea. It may be the Lord will work for us. Now, he had a specific thing in mind, right? It may be that God will use us to overcome the Philistines. Your Philistines may be a different bunch. You see, representing a different problem. Let me give you a few ideas. And, and when we talk about the Philistines, we can talk about how big and small they were. They came in all shapes and sizes. In chapter 17, we got Goliath, who's three meters tall. They come in all shapes and sizes. Your Philistine this morning might be yourself. You may be your own worst enemy in many ways. It might be something happening in your household, in your home. It could be your extended family. You maybe notice something in this community that's going wrong. Perhaps this city, this country. 
Perhaps God has brought to your attention something in a far-off distant land that you need to do something about. So I don't want you to limit the idea to just one thing today. Perhaps what God is putting on your heart, maybe something internal or external that needs to be done, maybe it's this, that there's somewhere, someone that you can reach with the gospel. Now stop saying to yourself, I'll let the pastor do it. You can do it. Why not you? Share the gospel with that person. Why can it not be you to hand a track to that person and say, I just want to give you something from the Bible? Perhaps you can see that somebody is struggling with their finances this month. Maybe you can go to the store and buy them some groceries. Maybe you could do that. Perhaps you see a need in this church. We have visitors come, and perhaps you can see that they're standing and no one's greeting them. You go to them. You say, well, Pastor Mike, that's a small thing. I'm not going to change all of Pacha's room with it. Don't worry about the results. You go get that one. You go do what you can do. Perhaps you know of some other person in this church that's struggling, going through a difficult time. Go and throw your arm around him and say, brother, I love you. I'm praying for you. Just encourage that saint. Perhaps it's something internal. Maybe your Philistine is that you're grumpy. You just need to smile more. Yeah, I've been waiting for 20 minutes to get this part of the sermon out. (laughs) Maybe you spent 2023 in a bad mood. How about this year? Maybe, maybe, it may be that you find joy in the Lord this year. Maybe. It's got to start somewhere, if not now, when? You say, well, if so-and-so gets right, and if so-and-so does this, and if, if not you, then who? Stop waiting for the Philistines to fix it. You fix it. You need to get that idea in your head. Perhaps this year, enough with complaining. This year, I'm going to concentrate on being thankful. My Philistine is ungratefulness. I mean, I have ingratitude deep in my heart, and I want to get that out. It may be. That if you'll take some steps to count your blessings, you'll fix that problem by the help of God. Maybe you've recognized that in your home you've been failing to have family devotions. It may be time to fix that. It may be that you need to go apologize to somebody for something that has been lingering between you and that other person. It's time to go fix that relationship. Perhaps you need to admit to somebody that you have been struggling and ask for prayer, ask for help. Perhaps it's time to organize a prayer meeting and get a few people that you know and love and trust and pull them together and say, let's pray about something. That's what we can do about it. I think it's rare. Not, it's certainly not the vast majority of people that will get called to be a pastor or a missionary. But, but let's leave it out there. I think it's smart for any Christian to at least ask him or herself, Lord, is there something you perhaps want more from me than just a secular life? Can I show you something interesting about this story? Look at chapter 13, verse 22. You need to know what you're equipped to do. Before Jonathan rushes off into the battle, notice he's not just running in there foolishly. This idea is born out of him recognizing what he's able to do. And then saying, well, if I do my part, it may be the Lord will work for us. 
Look at chapter 13, verse 22. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. The only two people in all of Israel that had a weapon were Saul and Jonathan. You know what that means? If anybody's going to take down the Philistine, it's one of two men. It's either Saul or Jonathan. You see, not everybody's equipped to go into the full-time ministry. Some people have that sword, and they're hiding under a pomegranate tree. Other people have that sword, and they get their idea, they got their head wrapped around the idea, God can use me if I let him. In verse number seven, it says, and his armor bearer, I love this guy. I don't even know what his name is, but I love this guy. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to, thine, according to thy heart. Do you realize not everybody's going to be a Jonathan? Let Jonathan be Jonathan. Perhaps you can be the armor bearer. You can be the guy when Jonathan stands up and says, Hey, let's go get something done. You look at that and you think, You know what? Yeah, that's a worthwhile endeavor. That does need to get done. I got your back. I will support you in that. Whichever way you want to go, I'm right behind you, Jonathan. Press on. Lead on. I'm right here with you. We need a lot more armor bearers. It's just been my personal experience. Life is going to give us very few Jonathan moments, but there are going to be plenty of times you can be the armor bearer where you can see that somebody is doing the right thing and you can just get behind them and help them. We need more armor bearers. Notice that these men, they're not trying to start their own nation. They're not trying to break off and create a new government or what we would think. They're not trying to start their own church. They just realize something's lacking within Israel and they're trying to make their own nation better. They don't have to, you don't have to blaze a new path just get on board with what God has commanded us to do and make this better. You don't have to wait for everybody in the nation to get on board with it. The idea is God can use your efforts. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Have you ever heard of something called the Texas Rangers? Okay, now currently they are a baseball team in America. I'm not talking about them, okay? But actually the name for that baseball team comes from the actual police unit called the Texas Rangers. They were started back in 1823. It is kind of like the FBI, but just for the state of Texas. Now, in case you don't know, I'm from Texas, so, so I'm really driving that home. But the Texas Rangers, they were started because a lot of riots and illegal uh, just things were happening, prize fights and uh, 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 Cowboy gangs and Indians were attacking, just all sorts of stuff. And the Texas Rangers rose up to fight against all this, these outlaws. Now, they were a rough and rugged bunch, but to this day, they still exist. In their entire history, they've only lost one battle they've ever fought. One. The U.S. government has established that this group, the Texas Rangers, can never be disbanded. They are that important to the state of Texas. Quite a group. Back in 1896, there was an illegal prize fight that was going to take place, and it, it, it was going to be a big mess. The governor called on the Texas Rangers to send people to squash the fight, to stop it. This thing grew as in Dallas. It was huge. So many people were gathering, and the Texas Rangers sent one man, 
a man named Bill McDonald. He showed up, and the governor looked, and, and he said, who are you? He said, I'm Bill McDonald. I'm the Texas Ranger. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys only sent one man? He said, how many riots do you have? <laughs> the governor said, one. He said, one man, one riot. <laughs> one riot, one ranger. And he got the whole thing shut down. Because <laughs> that's what rangers do. Have you heard of the show, The Lone Ranger? It comes from the story about the Texas Rangers. You can be that lone ranger. And, and it, it says God can save by many or by few. God can use a big army, sure, but He can use just one man or one woman that will stand up and do what needs to be done. God can use you. That's the idea. But let's look in verses 8, 9, 10, 11. Let's look at the initiative. All right? It starts with the idea you need to believe that God can use you. But then the next thing is the initiative. Verse 8, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. How bold is that? There are thousands of Philistines. Jonathan says, Hey, armor bear, let's just go present ourselves and see what happens. Now, if you're the armor bearer in this story, you're thinking, uh, <laughs> can we pray about that? <laughs> Are you sure? Is this smart? Verse 9, if they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. Don't you understand? We're going to go and say, hey, Philistines, hey, here we are, hey. And if they say, hey, wait there. Then Jonathan says, well, then we'll just wait there. Now, what is he going to do if the Philistines come down to him? He doesn't even, it doesn't tell us what his plan was for that. Maybe he was going to invite them to Bri. Says, the yellow I mean, what is he going to do? Negotiate a peace treaty? You know what I think he was going to do? And I'm just hypothetical. I, I think he was ready to fight. And say, if some Philistines come down, well, we'll pull out the one sword that we got. And we'll whip them. Now, we may not change the course of the war, and God may not use this as a pivotal moment in our nation, but I'll do what I can do. He's ready to fight. Then he says in verse number 9, If they say thus unto us, uh, forgive me, I'm sorry, verse 10, But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. He says, we got two options. We'll present ourselves and then see what God does from there. If the Philistines say we'll, that, that they'll come and meet us, well, well, we'll do what we can. But if the Philistines say, come up, then we know God's, God's going to do something big with our efforts. Verse 11, and both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. Kind of laughing, you know, sarcastic. Verse 12, and the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. <laughs> we'll show you something. Come on up here. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. He said, this is how we know God's not going to do just some small thing where I win a battle, you know, against a few guys. God's going to use our efforts to save all of Israel. He says, we can see how God's going to work. Now watch, here's my point in this. Initiative means action must be taken. 
The Bible says a man's heart deviseth his path, but the Lord directs his steps. You must take some steps so that the Lord can give you direction. If you just stand there between Bozes and Sina going, what do we do, what do we do? God's not going to be able to show you much. Take a step and see what God does with that. It may be the wrong step. Okay, if it is, the Philistines come down, you have a bra, you have a battle, whatever it is, and then go home, go back to the drawing board. But you got to take some steps. Notice what he says in verse, what was said to him in verse 12. Come up, come up to us, the Philistines said. You know what the Apostle Paul heard? In the book of Acts, he tries to go to Bithynia, didn't work. He tried to go to Mysia, the Holy Spirit didn't let that happen. And then Paul had a vision in the middle of the night of a Macedonian man, a Philippian, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Come to us. Just like Jonathan heard the Philistines say, come to us. You see, Paul tried to go here, he tried to go there, it didn't work. He took action. There was some initiative. He, he got up and generated some momentum, and then God was able to direct it as he saw fit. But you have got to rise up out of your seat and take a step. You got to get out of the research phase into development. It's good that you think about it and that you believe and you profess, yes, God can use me. Okay, then prove it. Let's see what God will do. This is what we refer to as ambition, but let me give you a word of caution here. I've been asked this several times, is ambition, ambition, is it a good thing? It can be. There are two kinds of ambition. The negative kind is a prideful ambition. And that is where you, you take a few steps and you have this romantic image in your mind of how things are going to end up. And you have this desire to see this amount of results and God's going to bless it in this and this way. And in your mind, you've built it up to be something. And then when that doesn't come to pass, you end up frustrated and angry at the Lord that he didn't use you like you wanted him to. That is a dangerous ambition. That's a prideful, egotistical ambition. But there's a different kind, a positive kind of ambition and instead of having a desire for how you want everything to work out and expectations, rather, this is just saying, God, I'm going to set some goals. Here's what I want to do. I will take this action. You use it however you want. Big or small, few or many, doesn't matter. God, I'm just going to take action, and I will be content that you allowed me to do something for your glory. That kind of ambition is healthy. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark that is before me. I reach to that mark. I'm just going to keep pressing on. Failures and all. That's a healthy ambition that God can use. I don't know if you might remember this gentleman, Donnie Roberts. How many of you remember this man? He visited this church in 2012. Anybody remember Donnie Roberts? This is the exact reason I'm using him in my sermon today. Shortly after we started the church, we were still at the horse riding club. A gentleman from America came to visit named Donnie Roberts. He visited for a week. He was excited about missions. He enjoyed his time here. He was praying about being a missionary. You know what he's doing right now today? <clears throat> Faithfully serving as a church member in Jacksonville, Florida, in Brother David Peacock's church. When I was there in 2021, I got to sit down and have a meal with he and his family. 
They've gone through various challenges with their health and with work, and COVID obviously set them back like it did so many people. But Donnie Roberts is serving God to the best of his ability right there in that local church. He never became a missionary. He said, Brother Mike, why are you sharing that story with us? Because at least he took some steps. And, and he didn't end up as a missionary on the field, but he's not a failure. He took some steps. God gave him some direction and said, I don't want you on the other side of the world. I want you right there helping in that church. And that's exactly where he's been. And God has blessed his efforts and the joy and, 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 and the, the, the goodwill that comes from that man. Being around him just puts you in a good mood. Here's what I'm saying to you. Our stories are going to be different. The story of Jonathan, right, doesn't have to be your story. What Jonathan does here, I'm not going to recommend that you find the will of God the exact same way Jonathan did. This is how he found it. Your story is going to be unique to you. You're going to find it in, in some special way, and it's going to be your story, and it's not going to sound like my story. Nothing Jonathan did contradicted the Bible. What Saul did, giving the offering, that contradicted the Bible. God didn't bless it. What Jonathan's doing doesn't contradict anything. He's just trying to generate some action, and God knows some of you need some action generated in your life. So if you're not the Jonathan, if you're not going to be the armor bearer, it brings me to the last part of my sermon. Perhaps verses 12 down to 15. We've read verse 12, let's read verse 13. Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. So here's what's happening. The Philistines are waiting. Jonathan comes up to them and Jonathan comes and whack. He takes the first one and he wounds him. But then the armor bearer comes after him and finishes him off. And one after another, Jonathan takes him to the ground. The armor bearer whoop, finishes him off. Now, now, guys, let's not go out and apotch through them and one guy knock him out, the other guy, we're not doing that, okay? You know what we can do? One guy goes out, hands out a track, leads him to Christ. The next guy disciples him. Somebody prays with him at the altar, they get saved. The next guy teaches them in Bible school. Do you see how one person and their efforts can lead to the next person and their efforts? But, but let's continue reading in verse 14. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men. Within, as it were, a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. Not a big area and only 20 men. Verse 15. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. All of the Philistines now are getting scared. Watch what happens next. And the earthquake. You know what God did? God saw Jonathan taken down, Philistine after Philistine. Then the Philistines start to get nervous, and they start to tremble within. And then God just takes his little finger and says, Bink, and hits the earth, and the earth starts to shake. And if you are a Philistine, and your army is melting away, and some of them are retreating, and other Philistines are saying, hey, you can't retreat. It's time to fight. And now the Philistines are fighting the Philistines. And God at the same time, bink, and then the earth starts shaking. If you're a Philistine, you got to know, oh dear, we are not just fighting against one Israelite and his armor bearer. We're fighting against the almighty God of the Jews. We're not going to win this battle. God got involved. You see, there's an inducement. There's an idea 
there's initiative, and then there is inducement. Inducement is to say this, there's, there's momentum created. Now get in the flow of that momentum. I showed you the picture of my grandbaby this week. Megan went in in the middle of the week, and she was induced. Many of you are familiar with that as it pertains to a pregnancy. You get the delivery started, and then once it's induced, nature takes over. Are you with me on that, folks? Once it's induced, once the momentum is started, then, it, then things just start happening naturally. They fall into place naturally. All Jonathan needed to do was take down 20, and after 20 fell, that first domino went dink, and then the Philistine domino went dink, and then God hit the earth and it went dink, and then Saul looks at it and says, what's happening over there? What is this? Bring the ark, bring the, what? let's pray about this. What's going on? Wow. Look at that. Oh man, forget it. We don't even need to talk to God. I can see what's happening all here. Okay, let's all get in on the battle. Dink, 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 dink. The dominoes just fell. It was in, there was progress and, and movement induced. So here's where I'm ending my sermon today. Don't be that stubborn domino. It falls, it falls, it falls, and it gets to you and you say, not me. Don't be that stubborn and rebellious domino that says, everybody else does it. That doesn't mean I have to do that. If it's right, you need to get involved. If God has called you and equipped you, and, and listen, I, when, I'm, when I say called you, that is called you to this general action of doing right. When you can see how God's working around you, don't stop that momentum. It has been induced, now run with it. Go with that flow. Back in the 18... 40s and 50s, and I'm shocked when I tell this story as to how many South Africans are not aware of it. A man named David Livingston landed on the shores of your fine country. Livingston and his entire ministry spent almost 20 years, more than 20 years here in Africa. He only had two converts. One was a chief of the Bakwena tribe. Now we would know him as the Tsetswana leader. His name was Sechele. And then later in life, Stanley, the man who went to find him deep in the bush, Stanley was an atheist until he hung out with Livingston for about four months, and then Stanley converted because he watched Livingston's testimony. He said it was such a powerful testimony, he converted. Livingston didn't do a lot when it comes to starting churches. You know what he did do? He traveled up and down through the southern part of Africa making maps. Now, as he went, he did preach. Please know that. But his plan was this, I want to open the doors for the, next mission, for the next generation of missionaries. They can come into Africa and find a path that has already been blazed. They can come set up the churches. But somebody had to open up the interior of Africa so that others could fall. He was the first domino. He was the Jonathan. And then he called upon some armor bearers. And then a few more missionaries came, and before you know it, this part of Africa, the southern part of Africa, was flooded with missionaries. All of Israel got involved. But it had to be started with someone. On Livingston's 59th birthday, this is what he wrote. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to Thee. Accept me and grant, O gracious Father, that ere this year, uh, this year is gone, I may finish my task. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. So let it be. 
His 59th birthday, you know what he did? He rededicated his life to the Lord. He didn't want to lose the momentum. He said, Lord, I'm so sick, I'm so tired, and he was physically very in a lot of pain. Let me die before I see my 60th birthday. That was his prayer. But until then, I'm all yours. Do with me however you want. My all is yours. Not long before his death, Livingston wrote something, that, something else that would eventually be written on his gravestone. You can go to Westminster Abbey today and see this. He wrote, all I can say in my solitude is, he was all by himself. No other person helping him with the work of missions. All I can say in my solitude is, may heaven's rich blessing come down on everyone, American, English, Turk, who will help to heal this open sore of the world. He was in northern Zambia when he wrote that. He knew there was a great need to get the gospel into that dark part of the world. And he did. He opened the path for dozens and hundreds of missionaries. I read this story before I came to Africa, and it was part of something that God used in my life to get me here. Because one domino fell. And then the next, and the next, and the next. And to this day, the dominoes are still falling. There's still movement within the body of Christ. Don't let it stop with you. It may be, it may be today that you can make a decision, idea, that brings about initiative, that gets something going, that changes the environment in your home, in your workplace, in your heart, in your marriage. Who knows? You try and see what God will do. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take just a few moments. Have the pianist come and play something lightly. Will not tarry long. I've kept you a few extra minutes than normal this morning, but I do want to give you a chance today to move, folks, and I think that's integral, to move, to break free from that craggy rock You don't want to stay there in Ramon. Saul, quit hiding. Quit being scared. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if it does? Perhaps you are that Jonathan, and you're right there between two rocks. And you're just not sure. You've you've taken a few steps. But man, if I take this next one, there's no going back. Right? Once you show yourself to the Philistines, there's no going back. I want to encourage you to take that next step and see what God does next. Maybe this morning you can just be a good armor bearer. Say, Lord, I... I don't have anything creative, brand new that I see that needs to be done, but there are some things that others are doing, and I want to get behind it. I want to be a help. Everybody can be an armor bearer. Everybody. Not everybody has a sword in their hand like Jonathan, but you can help him carry the sword. I'll just give you a couple moments more. Please listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart right now. Whatever action needs to be taken, 
If not now, when? And if not you, then who? You, friend, you. It may be that God can use you. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you that all those years ago, Lord, you didn't just hide yourself on your heavenly throne. You came down. You took a step. You got the action started. Thank you for bringing salvation down to us and making it possible for us to know you personally. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that we hear the battle cry today, go ye into all the world. We hear it. Lord, show us how we can be a part of that. Please, Lord, whatever it is in our lives that needs to change, give us the gumption today to do something. Whatever decisions were made here this morning, Lord, please, as we exit the building, may those commitments stand. Thank you, Father, for 2023 and all the victories and help and blessings and provision. Father, please prepare us and use us in 2024. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.